0: our god is good and powerful and mighty and worthy and does not leave us forsaken will never let go of us and he's in complete and utter control of everything in our lives complete and utter control of everything in our lives We just got to let him do what he wants to do. Sometimes we don't let him do what he wants to do. I had a conversation with somebody this week that asked me a question about something, and I gave him biblical backing. And the response was, well, I guess I just don't see it that way. Maybe if I read more history of it, but I'm showing you the Word of God. See, what they're essence saying is the Word of God doesn't align to what I think, so I'll go by my reasoning and not by what the Word of God says. And can I tell you something? That's a really slippery slope. The Word of God is right. The Word of God is true. As a matter of fact, one of the main reasons that I always talk about from this pulpit, the importance of reading the Word of God is because if I ever say anything that goes contrary to the word of God, I am wrong and the Bible is right. But if you don't read the word of God, you will never know. And I don't know about you, but I've been hoodwinked by people. Have any of you ever been hoodwinked by people? Some of you Hispanics don't know what hoodwinked means. (laughs) Te vendieron gato por liebre. My Cubans got it now. Somebody told you one thing, but it was something else. And can I tell you? The enemy hoodwinks the children of God by telling them things and having them question what the word of God says. I mean, do you remember what the serpent said to Eve? The serpent said to Eve, did God truly say... And the seed of the doubt caused her to act separate from what God had said. And the enemy knows what the word of God says. Online campus, listen now. The enemy knows what the word of God says. And I can prove it to you in scripture because the Bible says that when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for 40 days, the first temptation turned this rock into bread. Jesus answered with the word of God and said, Verily I say unto you, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And do you know what Satan did next? The next temptation, he used scripture to back See, that's a lesson for us Christians when you hear somebody preaching a doctrine based on one little piece of a verse. If it's not backed up by the whole of Scripture, it's not God. Because what's really cool about the Bible, and what, in my opinion, proves it more so than anything else, is the fact that it was transcribed by men. I'm not saying written by men. Transcribed by men because the Holy Spirit told them what to write over centuries by different people. And the theme of the entire Scripture is the same. You may be a conspiracy theorist, but man, you need a really big conspiracy theorist to think it wasn't God. When you have Moses writing the first five books of the Bible and Paul, a thousand years later, whatever number of years it was, don't quote me, I'm just saying it was a lot of times. It was centuries and centuries, writes down things that are of the same theme and talking back about the law and Jesus bridging the gap throughout the whole entire thing. So be weary when someone tries to preach a gospel or a doctrine On one scripture. Be careful when people try to just pick and choose three scriptures to make it sound right. But read scripture in context. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. About that which you were reading. Because the role of the Holy Spirit. Let me teach you for a second. The Holy Spirit to a non-believer. Convicts them of sin. And of who Jesus is. But to the believer the Holy Spirit teaches. And so sometimes, if you ever remember reading the Bible before you had a relationship with Jesus, a real relationship, some of us grew up going to church, whether it be Catholic church, Protestant church, Presbyterian, whatever. We grew up going to church, but not until a certain point that we have an actual encounter with the presence of God, not to a moment that we actually surrender to Jesus. And in that moment of surrender, the Bible changed completely because now we understood what we had read before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was now in the mix Teaching what the Bible meant and what it said. See, if you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, you're just reading a book. And all you get is useless information. Trivia knowledge. As opposed to revealed word of God. That will cause a change and an impact in your life and on my life. And it's exciting to know. You can read the Bible every single day, over and over, different, the the same scripture, read it 50 times, and God ministered to you specifically something different based on what you were facing that day because the word of God is alive. And you read it with the understanding the Holy Spirit was teaching and speaking. So out of all of that, if I can sum it up in one phrase, three words, read your Bible. Because God wants to speak to you, and he speaks to you through his written word. Amen? Can you give God one more hand of praise this morning? All right, we're going to jump into the word this morning. Um, God is moving. God is good. God is faithful, and he never lets go. Joel, it's great to see you. Have you back in the house? You had surgery a couple weeks ago, emergency surgery on your eye, but... We praise the Lord for the victory in your life. And um, I'm going to brag on you for a second. Because you're growing in your walk with the Lord. So I'm going to use your testimony for a second. The Lord's still working on him. He's still a Jet fan, but... (laughs) He called me several weeks ago on the way to the emergency room because he lost vision in an eye. He was seeing floaters, different things, and they found that his retina was detached and um, had to go into an emergency surgery the next day to get it reattached and all these different things. And um, for many of us, that could have shaken us pretty badly. But I won't forget, and I I have a text message. I I can show it. As we're talking after the surgery, the different things, he says, you know, Pastor, in my left eye, I've never been able to see well. But now that they reattached it and put this glass, this bubble and this lens thing, I'm going to have better vision in my left eye than I have ever had in my life. So I think the enemy was trying to get me, I'm paraphrasing his words on that, but God has turned it and now I'm going to be see clearly through my left eye better than I had ever seen in my entire life. So what what do I want to say? I am proud of you and, and church, I want you to understand something. We choose to look at things through the lens of woe is me or to look at things through the lens of God. This sucks, but what are you going to do through it? See, it doesn't alter the fact that sometimes we go through life and life is hard. But God. So I encourage you this morning through the testimony of my brother Joel. Joel. That when things happen that you weren't planning for or looking for and may be difficult, look for the but God. Because when you look for the but God, you will always find God. And if you only focus on the giant, you will lose the battle. So I want to share that testimony on your behalf this morning. Spirit was led by the Lord because I wasn't planning on that, but I am proud of you. And uh, what God is doing in your life and your family and uh, what he's going to continue to do. Amen. Give God God, one more praise. <laughs> trying to center myself to get into this word this morning. We're going to continue on. We started a series last week that was called Beyond Blessed. Más que bendecido. Beyond Blessed. And... Uh, We talked a little bit last week about the fact that a life that is beyond blessed stands upon two legs. There are two legs that it stands upon, which are generosity and stewardship. Those are the two legs on which a beyond blessed life stand upon. The leg of generosity and the leg of stewardship. And some of us, we, we've got the generosity part, but the realities, we're not good at the stewardship part. And I gave you a definition for the word steward. The definition of the word steward is a person responsible for managing another, another's money, property, or et cetera. More time. A steward is a person responsible for managing another month's, another's money, property, et cetera. So I want to ask you a question. Have any of you ever stayed at someone else's house? Perhaps somebody else's vacation home where they're like, hey, I've got this vacation home. You know, we want you to use it, right? We, we, we have a, a family member or a friend that is like family who owns a vacation home. And they've told us on numerous times, hey, you can use it. Here's the key. You can go. And, and, and we, we've, we've used it. But can I tell you that when I arrive, I make sure to inspect how everything was to leave it better than when I found it. I don't do that in a hotel, per se. Be honest, I kind of do. My wife gets on me, because I I will, like, go through everything. I'm trying to leave everything ready for the person that comes in to clean the room and stuff. I'm putting all the towels together, all the things together. I'm, like, I'm trying to make their life easier. It's like, but you don't have to do that because you're paying for it, right? But when you are in somebody's house and you realize I don't own it, I'm stewarding it, you behave differently. Yesterday, my daughter, Abigail had her first basketball game. She started playing basketball this year at school. She's using your whole five-foot-three frame, which is continuing to grow. She's learning not to be afraid of the ball. And and not only was it her first game, but it was a doubleheader. Two games, back-to-back, no break in between. And to make it even... I'm I'm now bragging on my daughter, sorry. (laughs) The team has eight kids, and three didn't show up. So they literally played every minute, every second of the two games back-to-back and their team won both games. I was so proud of them, it was awesome. Now, I got stuff I gotta work on with her though. I'm gonna coach her to get, you know, get there, but anyways, My wife and I were sitting there, and we looked around this place where the game was, and there was all these parents that were watching the game like us. And as good parents, you know what you do on a scorching hot Miami day? You take a cooler with bottles of waters and Capri Suns and orange juice, right? Like, you know, we're doing all these things. And so we look around, and we see that the, the whole playground area is littered with bottles of water, littered with Capri Suns, littered with paper, littered with stuff. And Patty and I look at each other, and she's like, it's so sad, First things first, we're a Christian school that's at this other place, right? And so we talked about that, but then, you know, we started talking about uh, about swordship of it. and, and, And then the game ended, and I saw some of the parents grab garbage bags and begin to walk around. And we joined as well, and we began to walk around picking up every piece of paper, every bottle of water, everything, whether we had spilled it and dropped it or not. And we looked at each other. I talked to this one lady, and she was like, we got to leave this better. And I said, yes, we got to leave it better than we found it. Why? Because when you work and deal with something that is someone else's, and you leave it in a better place, you are stewarding it the way you're supposed to. Because you realize, I don't own this. I'm a guest. I have the privilege of being here. Can I tell you something? A privilege can be taken away. Come on, parents, how many of you have taken away a phone that you gave your kid or a car, some keys, whatever the case might be. Why? Because a privilege is not something you just have, you are given, but if you don't store it well the very same way, it's lost. So let's talk about stewardship. I told you what a steward was. Now, let me tell you what the definition of stewardship, and I'm going to give you two. But the first one I want to talk at this morning of stewardship is the management of the property of another. A steward is the manager, right? Stewardship is the management of the property of another. And I want to read Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse number 14. It's a lengthy passage. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll break it down. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise who had received two gained two more also. Make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse number 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot of things to unpack in this passage of Scripture. So the first thing I really want to just go over for a second is the fact that the talent is referring to money. So if you look scripturally, and there you can look that it says the talent, and then says my money, the Lord's money. It says you would have deposited it in the bank, got an interest. Interest does not accrue on a vocal talent. Interest does not accrue on an instrument talent. Interest accrues on money, right? So what is a talent? If you do the research, a talent was approximately worth 10000 denarii. And the Bible says that a denarius, one denarius, was worth a day's wage. So if we do a little bit of math, a year's wage was about 300 days. Take out weekends, holidays, all those different types of stuff. You worked about 300 days. That was a salary for a year, 300 denarii. We know that when uh, they, they broke the bottle of perfume at Jesus' feet, Judas looked and said, we could have sold that bottle for a year's wage for 300 denarii. So there's biblical backing for what I'm telling you. I'm not making this stuff up, right? So if you do a quick little math, 10,000, a talent, divided by... 300 is about 33 and a third years. A talent was worth about 33 and a third years of someone's salary. It's a lot. It was an innumerable amount of this wealth. Now, what's the first thing, knowing that information, what's the first thing I want you to understand? If you're taking notes this morning, I need you to understand this very clearly. You are not the owner. I am not the owner. Can we say it this morning? I am, I am not the owner. See, the Bible says that everything is the Lord's. It also says it in Corinthians. So you would say, oh, but that was Old Testament. in the book of Corinthians, it says, for all the fullness of the land, of the earth, is the Lord's. So what is a main thing we need to understand in stewardship is the fact that I do not own anything. It is God's. Oh, but I've got this money. Yup, that cash money that you've got with whatever president printed on it is printed on paper which came from God's trees. Everything is God's. What leads me to the second point this morning is this. I am a steward. If God is the owner, I am a steward. And stewardship, once again, is the management of the property of another. Do you know that the Bible starts with stewardship? You go to the book of Genesis, we find creation. God makes everything, then he makes Adam, and then he makes Eve, right? And he goes and he says to them, the land is yours. Be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Manage it, take care of it, steward it, the Bible starts with stewardship. But can I tell you what? Humankind, the human race has been a horrible steward of the earth that God created. Let's be honest for a second. I don't care what side of the fence you sit on. I don't care whether you believe in climate change or don't believe in climate change. floodwaters rising. I mean, I don't care what side you stand on. We can, without a shadow of a doubt, say that this last month of September was hotter than August. And that never happens in Miami something's changed, and the poor stewardship of it is the truth. We've not stewarded the earth well. That's how the earth was created, for man to steward it. So everything is based on the stewardship. Now, another thing I want you to point out, if you catch, he gave to one five talents, to one two, and to one one. All three of them, it says he gave it to them according to their ability. What does that tell me? God is going to give to you and me to steward of what is His based on our ability. But I've got very good news for you ability can be increased. See, you can go to school and get a better education, and your ability changes. You can take a course. And now you can sell another type of insurance because you have it. You can increase your ability. So I want to say that as a little parenthesis because maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you say, well, maybe I'm a one-talent person. Well, pursue God, work on yourself, and you might be able to enhance your ability to be able then to do better. So it's ability that was given and it was the Lord who gave this and what's the other part we need to understand with this and this I'm going to give you another definition of stewardship is to protect and expand the resources of another because notice that what the Lord says to the three people when they come the one that had five said here's your five plus five more the Lord says well done good and faithful Then to the next one, he said, you gave me two, here's four. He said, well done, good and faithful. And I'll get back to that in a second. The one that had one, he said, I was afraid, so I hid it. He said, you wicked guy. If you had at least put it in the bank, it would have had interest. Now, interest on 33 years of a salary would have increased. So what can I tell you? In our stewardship, it's not just taking care of it. It's having it produced to be better. Go back to my basketball example yesterday. Leave the court better than when we found it. Using my friend's uh, uh, place or vacation home, leaving it better than when we found it. Going above and beyond shows good stewardship. Now, let's get back to a second. Five-talent guy, two-talent guy, heard the same exact word from the master, from the Lord, Well done good and faithful servant can i tell you something this morning whether you're a one talent a two a five or whatever talent it is of what god has given you to administer or steward god is looking for your faithfulness as a steward and he measures us based on what he gave us he didn't look at the guy of two stewards and says well you gained two but that other guy gained five no, he told both of them the same exact thing because they both stored it well. If the guy with one had come back and said, hey, you gave me one, and here's two, he also would have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. As a matter of fact, the fact that the master didn't just chew him out but said, if you had put it in the bank, it would have had interest. If he had given it back to him and says, you gave me one, and I gave you 1.2, he might have also heard, hey, good job. Maybe he wouldn't have got the full well done, good and faithful, but he would have gotten something better because he gave it back better. And so it leads me to the question. I'm not asking you. I'm asking myself, right? Am I a good steward? So we have to ask ourselves that question. Am I a good steward? Am I a good steward of what God has given me? Look at what Deuteronomy 8.18 says. If you, if you can throw up Deuteronomy 8.18 for me a second. It says, and you shall remember... The Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So, is it wrong to prosper? No. Is it wrong to pay off your house and own a house? Heck no. Is it wrong to have a retirement plan? No. Is it wrong to do these things? No. The Bible says God gives you the ability, the power to get wealth. The question is, many times we don't steward it well, and so we lose it. Because the guy that had one didn't steward it well, so he lost it, and it was then given to the one who had ten. See, we love to say things like this. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. See, let me tell it to you in the Bible. The good stewards steward more, and the ones that are bad stewards, even what they were supposed to steward, they lose. See, if we look at it that way, it's a little different. Because we've all been given something to steward. I can read the faces. Let's not talk about money for a second. I talked about stewarding the earth. How about stewarding our marriage? How about stewarding our relationship with our children? How about stewarding our relationship with our parents? How about stewarding other, our, our body? How about stewarding and administering every aspect, right? Those, some people, it, it happens to me all the time. I'll run into somebody I haven't seen for a long amount of time and they'll say, pastor, wow, you look good. You've lost so much weight. I say, thank you. It's like, what did you do? So let me talk to you about stewarding of my health. See, when I did the rhythm series several years ago, I got convicted by the Lord. That I needed to stop drinking soda. Is soda a sin? I'm not saying soda is a sin, people. But a can of soda has 42 grams of sugar. Which takes a whole lot to burn. And then your body burns sugar instead of fat, so you get fatter. Even if you're working out and it's unhealthy. So I made a personal decision that I was going to stop drinking soda for the betterment and the stewardship of my health. I did that for a whole entire year. It was awesome. It was great. I had one slip up, and it wasn't even on purpose. I asked for a glass of water at McDonald's, and they gave me a cup of Sprite. It's clear. I took a sip, and you can ask my wife. I almost spit it out in the car. You know know when you you think you're about to take a sip of water, and you drink something else? Funny story. Sorry, got to go there. I remember when I was a pastor at Alpha and Omega Church, they had a morning prayer meeting. And uh, there was a, it was at 5 a.m. and I would go to it. And there was a specific one that they were doing the commun- communion like we did this morning. And um, it's 5 in the morning or 5.30 at this point And they're going to share communion. And they call me up to, to, to give out the communion. And I go through the process. And, and I get my little cup. And I go to swig it like I did the, earlier today thinking it was grape juice and it was wine. I did not know. <laughs> so I get this thing and I go, and I started coughing, gagging. I'm trying to give the microphone to somebody else, like giving away the microphone. Like I couldn't talk. I was just like, like just, first of all, I don't drink by choice. It's not wrong to have a glass of wine. I'm not getting into The Bible it says don't get drunk, but it's not wrong to have a glass of wine. So, you know, be free. Just remember that. Whatever you do in moderation, whoever is watching you is going to do in excess. But anyways, (laughs) I was gagging so bad. Years later, a friend of mine told me, man, aren't you allergic to wine? I was like, no, not not that I know of. I mean, I eat grape all the time. Grapes are good. He's like, oh, I thought you were allergic to wine because of what happened that morning prayer service. I was like, no, I thought I was drinking grape juice, and I chugged it like a shot. And it was wine at 530 in the morning. Didn't work. Anyways. If you don't steward it well, even what you have, you will lose. So am I a good steward of what God has given me? So February 14th of the year 2020. Some of you have no idea where you were. This is pre-pandemic, right? Like we were starting to hear what was going on, but we didn't know the extent of it. It was about a month before the world shut down and some of it hasn't even picked up yet, right? February 14th, 2020. Do you know where I was that morning? at my doctor's office. I had done blood work and I went to see my doctor. And my doctor says to me, David, did you take your blood work? Did you do your blood work on a fast the way you're supposed to? I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, your sugar's a little high then. And your blood pressure's a little high. You know what? You weigh about 40 pounds more than what your height says you should weigh. You're obese. I had two choices. My doctor's not very healthy looking. So I could have looked at her and been like, what are you talking about, doctor? Look in the mirror. I didn't. I had a moment of realization that if I did not begin to steward my life, my health right, I might not be around to walk my daughters down the aisle. You know what had happened two weeks before that? For the first time in my life, I laid down on the floor of my office in between services I wasn't feeling good, which is what led me to go get my blood work. That day, I actually went to the hospital. I had, my blood pressure was through the roof. It ended up having been a pinched nerve, but it started the, the, the wheels turning. And then I made a decision, do I steward it? So that's why my wife and I, during the pandemic, when everybody gained a few pounds, I'm not saying a lot, a few pounds, we lost 40 pounds each. Guess what? My blood pressure was normal. My sugar was normal. My knees don't hurt anymore. I go play a sport or run or walk or whatever, and I don't get home like, oh, my God, let me ice my knee. Why? Because 40 pounds were stewarded off of me. So why am I going through all of this, and why am I being so vulnerable and specific? I need you to understand. Like I said last week, like I said, we're not, 3W Church is not after your money. I, as your pastor, am trying to teach you that if you don't steward what God has let you steward well, you will not have anything to steward. Every Christian on the planet has an innate thing that comes the minute you ask Jesus to come into your heart to be generous and to bless people. But you can't give what you don't have. If I don't have food to eat, I can't offer you a piece of chicken. If I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, I can't help you take care of yours. So... I go back to the question. Again, I'm I'm not asking you. I'm asking myself. And I want you to ask yourself, am I a good steward? Am I a good steward of my finances, of my family, of the relationship with my wife, of my children, of my grandchildren when they come 20 years from now, whenever the time is? Am I going to be a good steward? Look at what Luke chapter 12 says. Go to Luke chapter 12. Any Star Wars fans in the house? I almost cannot refuse. Every time I say to go to the book of Luke, I want to say, Luke, I am your father. I don't know why. It's just weird. Every single time I go to the book, I say, go to the book of Luke, I want to say that. It's just, don't judge me. Luke chapter 12, verse number 16. Some of you have never seen Star Wars, and you're going to be like, what? Luke 12, 16. But he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, be merry. Let me, can I read this again with a little bit of an intonation? All right, see if you catch it. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought to within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, drink, be merry. See, this guy thought he was an owner not a stored. So then look what God says. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God? All right, let's break this down for a second. Can you notice that God's reprimand had nothing to do With the crops, the barn, the increase, the plenty, it had nothing to do with any of that. God's issue was the fact that the guy said, it's mine. He didn't say, you fool, you built a bigger barn, you laid up too many treasures, you healed, you did too much. No, no, he said, you fool, you're doing all of this and who's going to enjoy it? So is a man who lays up treasure for himself instead of in heaven. So here's the issue. It wasn't a problem that the guy was wealthy. It's a problem that he didn't steward it well because he thought he was the owner, so he wasn't thinking about helping other people, which is how you lay up treasures in heaven, by being a blessing to other people. You don't gain salvation by helping people. Very clear. If you're under the sound of my voice and you think that by your good works, your good deeds, helping old ladies cross the street, paying people's rent and helping people, that's how you make it to heaven. The Bible says you're saved by grace, not by work, so you can't boast about it. Because in our flesh, if we do that, we're like, look what I did, right? Instagram generation, I just saved the starfish. Remember that preaching from a month ago? Look what I did. Look what I did. That's what we would do if we could earn our way to heaven, So doing all those things is because in your innate being as a Christian, once you have a new understanding and a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, being generous comes natural. And every time you do it, lays up treasure in heaven. We got to be good stewards, stewardship. The reprimand was not for having much. The reprimand was for thinking he owned it instead of the fact that he had the ability to steward it. So let's talk about a few things. If you're with me, good, awesome. I appreciate it. I still have a few more points. I have to share this with you today. The first thing I want, I want you to write this down. I need you to understand this church. God blesses good stewardship. God blesses good stewardship. Now let's be real for a minute. Some of us perhaps are in a situation right now really bad you're in a very bad state of affairs when it comes to your finances debt that is worth more than your yearly salary and it took you years to get there well it took you time to get there you're not going to get out of it overnight and you're not going to win the lotto tomorrow you shouldn't even waste your finances on that if let's be true this is why i will say it's a sin we, we can look we can Talks tomato, tomatoes, I'm not even getting there. But it's not good stewardship. It's not good stewardship. And the percentage of the people who do win it within five years are bankrupt and in a worse condition than when they won it. And that is statistics. That's not Bible. That is statistics. So you're not going to win the lotto tomorrow, and you don't have a great aunt living off in the middle of Arizona that you never knew about that is going to die tomorrow and leave you an inheritance that you weren't waiting for. Because I have tia por allá. No, 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 right, no. Poor stewardship got you there. Good stewardship is going to get you out, but it's going to take time. And it takes time for you to plan it and then hit the goals that you start planning for. But I will tell you that when God sees your heart shift to begin to live the life of a good steward, he will supernaturally bless you and can supernaturally increase it so that you continue to steward it and get out of your debt and live a life where you can truly be generous and bless people and help people, and get behind a cause that you stand for. Let's say, for example, OCC right now, Operation Christmas Child, maybe what's within your means is a prayer one box, but you really love this ministry. So when you steward your finances well, you might be able to say, well, instead of one box, I can do 10. Well, that only happens if you steward your finances well. Does that make sense? All right, good, I'm preaching good this morning. <laughs> now, I want you to write this down. A key to successful stewardship is a grateful heart. A key to successful stewardship is a grateful heart. Being grateful for that which God has given you the ability to steward right now. Because you know what happens? We live in a time where everybody's ungrateful. A lot of it is poor parenting and poor education and poor things. Because that doesn't happen naturally. Conversations I had with the car or before your daughter's birthday and you say, no matter what they gave you, it may have been a roll of toilet paper you are grateful, you say thank you and you smile and you courteous and, and, and as if it was a million dollars they gave you right like you, tr- you, you, you are grateful for what you're given. That's parenting guys that doesn't happen naturally. All right I'll get off the parenting soapbox for a second. We live in a time where so many people are ungrateful, right? Online campus, you know what I'm talking about, right? We're ungrateful. And you know what a lack of gratitude does? It feeds the lust and the desire in your life to covet what other people have and want to compare yourself to what everybody else has. And that monster can never be fed enough. They got a new car, if I only had a new car, I'd be happy. You finally get a new car, you can't even pay for the car, but you have a new car, that person upgraded their car and now you're like, oh, now I need a new one. They got a new house, you need a new house. They got a new toy, you need a new toy. They got a new phone, you need a new phone. That monster can never be fed enough. It's a lack of gratitude and it's a lack of contentment. Contentment. See, Paul said, I have learned to be content with everything. I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have a little, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse, man, we misquote it so much. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I mean, I can get up there and hit a baseball further than everybody else even though I'm a weakling because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No. Right before it, Paul said, I've learned to have a lot and I've learned to have a little, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, I can steward whatever God gives me And then he ends it by saying, and my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. If I'm a good steward, God provides. If I'm a bad steward, all I did was spend wrong what God gave me to provide for what I needed to spend. I don't even know if I can say it again. Hear the preaching again. (laughs) Stewardship, guys. Stewardship. A key to successful stewardship is a grateful heart. Can I tell you another one I want you to write down? Take this, write this, ingrain it. Good stewards are full of peace and joy. Peace and joy. You know what takes your peace? They cut your water because you couldn't pay it. Probably one of the worst moments in my marriage was a couple years ago where they cut our water. And it wasn't because I didn't have the money to pay it is because I forgot to pay it. I totally forgot. And I remember my wife called me and said they cut the water at the house. I could have lied. Oh, it must be an error. I immediately said, Oh my God, I forgot to log on and pay it. And since the water bills every three months, if you miss it, I mean there's not like no thing. So And, man, I had to rush. I had to figure it out. I was like, what do I need to pay for you guys to turn it back on today, right? Like, I I had to go make it right. That was my fault. It sucked. Had no peace for like a week and a half. I just kept telling my wife, with little kids in the house, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe I forgot to pay that. Well, can I tell you something? When you can't pay your bills, you ain't got no peace. And you ain't got no joy. But when you are in, yeah, no water. Don't flush. It ain't going to refill. Hey, man, you may love me or hate me, but I'm honest. But when you walk in a life of good stewardship and you live within your means, there's peace. There's joy. Because I'm not worried. I'm not. I'm not thinking. Oh, if I only get this other job. If I only get this other thing. If I only get this. Man, I I unfortunately know some pastors that will take up speaking engagements wherever, whatever type of thing, whatever, because they need to make more money somehow. It's like no, you just need to store it better. Whatever you have, live within your means. Adjust. Live within your means. Adjust. It will bring peace and it will bring joy. When you're constantly trying to figure things out, you can't have peace or joy. And when you're not content with what you have, you're always gonna want more. Try to pick up an extra shift, try to pick up another thing. I remember as a classroom teacher talking to some parents who were never around their kids. And I remember one specific time, I looked at this dad in my my classroom, and I looked at him and said, hey, do you know that he does not care truly if you guys have a bigger TV? See, let me tell you part of the issue in immigrants. My family's immigrants, please, like, you know. Somebody who didn't have a lot or came as an immigrant says this, I want to give my kids what I did not have. That's an issue. Because when everything you strive for is to give them what you didn't have, And you even say things like, well, you have this and I didn't have it. You are, in essence, telling your children, if you are covetous of getting more, if you love mammon and resolve everything with more money to get more stuff, you'll be happy. And that's not the message we need to give our children. I know that one's hard. And even if you are wealthy... It is healthy to teach your kids how to have a job. Whether it be that you employ them in their house to do certain things. I started working at 14, it didn't break me. It made me better, a better steward. I used to have a hard time as a 20 something year old relating to the other 20 something year olds in my life. Why? Because at 22 years old, I already had bought my apartment. Or 23 years old, I already had bought a property. I already had done these things. I had worked. I had hustled. I had strived. Yes, I was blessed. But I I had to teach your children now. And can I tell you something else? They're not going to do what you tell them. They're going to do what you show them and what they see you do. You want your kids to worship God? You worship God. You want your kids to read the Bible, let them spot you reading the Bible. You want your kids to dress appropriately, then you should dress appropriately. You want your kids not to drink or try drugs, and you shouldn't drink or have drugs. You want your kids to do these different things, then don't do it and don't tell them, do what I tell you, not what I do. That's a cop out. That wasn't for anybody here. It might have been for an online person. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just. <laughs> We can't teach our kids that if we had more money, we can do. Because that puts the eye on money. We can teach our kids that if we steward things, we can do it better. And if you put God first, you'll see the miracles and the blessings. So can I tell you three things that all excellent stewards do? Three things. The first one is they commit to spending wisely. They save diligently and they give generously. Every single good steward does these three things. Commit to spend wisely, save diligently, give generously. So what does it mean to commit to spend wisely? You consult the owner before you spend anything. Who's the owner? God. God, should I buy this car? Oh, you skipped it. Go back. You introduced Mr. Budget. All right, I'll go to Mr. Budget. I had a whole segue of how I was going to introduce Mr. Budget. It's not a silver magic bullet. It is called a budget. So who's Mr. Budget? Mr. Budget is the fictional character that lives on your spreadsheet, or your Quicken, QuickBooks, whatever you use. And Mr. Budget can save your marriage, the relationship with your children. See, watch, right, my wife can look at me and say, honey, can I redecorate the house for fall? She asked me this two weeks ago. (laughs) And I had just read this book twice, right? I said, honey, I'm gonna talk to Mr. Budget. Mr. Budget said no. It would look amazing. You would do such a great job at Marshalls and Ross and everywhere else, and it would be awesome. But Mr. Budget, he's bad. He said no. See, I can look at my wife and say, man, I I, want to add a new car to my collection of my model cars. I'm just giving an example because my wife actually fights with me because I don't like spending money on myself. Fight's not the right word, but you get what I'm trying to say. Like, I'll say, man, I got to get a new pair of shoes and wear the shoe like, didn't you say you need new shoes? I was like, no, no, they're still good. They're still good. Um, that's me. But for my wife and my kids, I'll do whatever, right? I'll be more than beyond generous with them. But anyways, um, I can say something, and she can turn around and say, honey, let me go talk to Mr. Budget. And she can come and say, yeah, you know what? That, that's going to look good. You know, that, that new fishing rod might make you catch 12 fish. But Mr. Budget said no. See, that, that, that takes the fight out. Because there is an arbiter who is not on either person's side. And the first thing you need to do to figure out What can be in your budget? You need to know where you are. Do you know that the majority of people, when we do premarital counseling classes, one of the first things that I do is I actually go through preparing a budget and talking about finances with the couple, why? Because the number one issue in marriages is money. And the reality is that most times, people come into a marriage right now already full of debt and wanting to spend more and do more and do these different things. And before you know it, they're arguing about the money. But if Mr. Budget had been there in the mix, So your marriage needs to be you, your spouse, God needs to be number one, but Mr. Budget's got to be a close guy (laughs) so that then you can uh, do things, right? I heard this story. This is a true story. I don't know if they do this in Florida, but in Texas, there was a time period where uh, one night a week, McDonald's would sell you the Happy Meal for a dollar. The catch was it didn't bring the toy. And so there was this family that had really started trying to put the stewardship principles in place. And uh, doing these things, and so they had budgeted that once a week they would take their kid to McDonald's. They would eat out at McDonald's, uh, but everybody got the dollar item things because that's what they could afford in their budget at the moment. And so one day they're in the drive-thru, and the little girl, the daughter, looks and says, about four or five years old, says, Mommy, today can I get the Happy Meal with the toy? And the mom turned around and said, Look, hon, I really would want to, but Mr. Budget said no. And then all of a sudden the little girl just whispers to herself, I hope Mr. Budget would die. You know, (laughs) but church, what's the truth of the matter? You can't make $3,000 and spend like if you made four. Do you know it is an outrageous percentage of people within the United States of America that live what's called paycheck to paycheck? That if you miss one paycheck, you'd have to go live in your car. That's how the majority of people in this country live. And many of the times it's because of not living a life full of contentment because you're just looking at what everybody else is able to do and what everybody else spends and and trying to keep up with everybody else's Instagram. But we're living a life where, you know what we're doing? We're stealing from ourselves can I define to you what stealing from yourself is buying today something that I'm going to get the money for next week. So the next week when that money comes in, you already spent it two weeks ago and now you still can't pay the bill or because you don't know what delayed gratification is where you actually save for something and then buy it. The plastic credit card and I'm not against credit. I think if you know how to use it, you can steward it, okay? But you have to know how to use it. I only use credit card, but I only spend on my credit card what I have in my bank to pay off at the end of the month. I do it totally get points. Like I was talking actually to, to Ralph earlier today, when we bought my wife's car this year, when we went to put the down payment, I took my check, but I asked the finance guy, hey, If I pay with a credit card this down payment, this X amount of money, do you charge me a fee for using my credit card? He said, no. It's as if you were paying with cash. I said, perfect, and put my check back in my pocket, put it on this credit card because I was gonna get 2% back. So I made money on my down payment or I saved money on my down payment, right? That's budget. That's stewardship. But it's so easy to put something on a credit card. It's only $100 at 22%, and it takes you a year to pay it. So you probably ended up paying $400 or $500 for the Ferret sneakers that you really didn't need anyways. Pastor, you got off topic from the Bible. No, I didn't. Let's bring it back. You are a steward of what God owns. And when I spend what I don't have, I am stealing from God's money what he gave me to steward properly so that I can be a conduit of blessing to other people. So, church. If you get anything out of this Blessed Life miniseries, worship game come to the altar, I want you to understand this. You don't own Squad Diddly, and I don't own Squad Diddly. It's God's, and I have the privilege to steward it. And as I steward it well, he will bless me with more so that I can bless more. Not so that I can buy more cars or more shoes or more Whatever, but so that I can be a blessing to other people. Can I tell you what I want to challenge you guys to do? I, I, I cleaned out stuff in my shed this week. I actually put it on our men's chat, and I'm going to ask it now. Does anybody here own a pool table? All right. Okay, I have a gift for you. See, I used to own a pool table, and somebody one year for my birth, me, birthday gave me a brand new set of pool balls, and I hadn't used them yet when we got rid of our pool table because it broke. And so I have a brand spanking new box of pool balls that cost I don't even know how much. Just sitting there for a pool table I don't own and I don't plan on ever owning again. So good stewardship says, give it to somebody. So I put in the men's chat this week. Does anybody own a pool table? So now you know, George, they're yours. I will give it to you this week. Uh, um, Patty will take it to Mickey tomorrow at work. They're yours. Why? If I have it and I don't use it, and it's not in my thing to use, then it's there to be a conduit for blessing. And when I stored it well, then God's gonna give me more. Why, because I sow to get? No, but because when God sees that I'm a conduit for his honor, for his blessing, for his glory, he can give me more because I live a life that is beyond blessed. And my challenge to you is start looking what do I have that God you have given me to steward that I need to put it in the hands of somebody else? Cuz I'm going to live my hand with an open my life with an open hand. You give it, I give it. You give it, I give it. I save, I put away, I pay my debt, I live a life of honor and good stewardship, but God, I have an open hand. If you put it, I will give it so that you can give even more. Because to whom much is given, much is required. But God said in the word that he would give more to he who stewarded it faithfully and well. Come on, church, stand to your feet. their heads for a second and examine yourself before we even pray and before my brother ralph comes up to do the announcements and close out in service i i need to ask you this very important question everybody just close your eyes no walking no moving around this is just you and god i need to ask you this question do you have a relationship with god through the person of jesus christ before we even started the preaching this morning Inspired by the Holy Spirit, I mentioned the role of the Holy Spirit in the non believers to convict them of sin and, and, and to tell them who Jesus are. And perhaps today, this whole message, even on stewardship, the Holy Spirit was telling you, you need a relationship with God through Jesus. So if that's you and today you say, I want to start a relationship with God, I want you to say this prayer with me in church. We can pray it together. We're going to pray it with you and simply say, God, I'm a sinner and on my own. I can't get to you, but I believe. That Jesus is your son. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to pay the price for my sin, to cancel my debt. And today, I ask Jesus, come and live in my heart, write my name in the book of life. And from now on, God, I'm yours, and you are mine, in Jesus' name. And if you did that today for the first time, can I tell you what happened? You just became a child of God. And your heavenly Father wants to bless you, guide you, and protect you. And it takes those two things, being generous and having good stewardship. Father, I pray for all of us, Lord, that you may help us to analyze our current situation and where we are in our personal finances, Father, are we living outside of our personal means? Lord, if in us there is a desire to please Mammon and just want more and more, Father, I pray that that breaks in us right now and that we may live a life that honors you, the life of good stewardship, which testifies about who you are. Even if what our stewardship right now is an old car, but we keep it clean and we keep it shiny so that people would say that's a good steward. Father, I pray that we walk in the stewardship biblical principles, and Father, that we would strive to increase our ability so that we could continue to steward faithfully everything that you have given us to steward, realizing I'm just a steward, and you are the owner. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we just worship him a minute as Ralph goes?